0: Are made to worship. Let's continue singing this Maybe something you don't know. Ryan just learned this yesterday. <laughs> You're killing it, though. You're doing amazing. Um, but, but some of you might remember it, kind of a song of uh, a while back. But I just want to ask you, as we as we sing, my heart will sing no other name but Jesus. Maybe we can examine our hearts today and, and ask if maybe we've been singing some other names or some other things. Because you see, when I read my Bible, from front to back I see a God that wants our sole allegiance to him. And he wants no other gods, no other idols. My sweet little Cooper, he's not in here, so he won't be embarrassed. Man, he's got a he's got a heart for the Lord, and he's got a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that I can already see. He devours his action Bible, which is like this cartoon kind of Bible. He knows his Bible stories better than I do. It's crazy, but he is so quick to point out to me when he sees idols. He's like, "Mom, that's an idol." "Hey, Mom." "Hey, Mom, that could that be considered an idol?" I don't I'm not sure, God. I'm not sure that's pleasing to God. It blows my mind. So I know if, if God is speaking to my precious little 10 year old. Is he 10? I don't know. I can't, is he nine? Oh my gosh. <laughs> What's it matter? Okay. Anyway, if the Lord can speak to my little nine year old, surely he can speak to us. And may we humble ourselves, church. Humble ourselves to ask the Lord are we singing another name that's not Jesus? Are there idols in our lives, Lord? Would you show us? Would you help us be humble enough to get on our knees or our faces and confess and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Show me more of you and how I can have more of you in my life. Let's seek him this morning as we sing this last song. If you feel like you need to sit or come pray, pray in your seat. Follow the posture of your heart as we sing this last song.
1: We bow our hearts, we bend our knees, O Spirit, come, make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things, O Lord, we cast down our idols. Pure.
0: pray for us, I wonder if maybe we can just have a couple of moments of just quiet prayer. Maybe you get a lot of sil- silence and solitude in your week, but maybe you don't, and we kind of just have come and just done kind of one thing after another, and I just wonder if if as a body we can just just rest in a little bit of quiet this morning. Leanne's going to keep playing, but let's, let's pray to the Lord here and now can you can have a seat if you want or if you'd rather take the posture of standing that's fine too let's have a few moments of quiet quiet prayer and then i'll pray for us We adore you. We have worshipped you. We continue to worship you because you are good. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done for us. We praise you for the blood of Jesus that has made us righteous before you we can have a right relationship with you that you would care for us and love us in such an intimate way God we praise you and we thank you and I ask now that uh, in this place you would be with the heavy hearted those who have come in with burdens Lord you know each and every one and I ask that you would just pour your peace god your peace that is that's indescribable that when we when we sense your peace and we know your peace it just doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense why we have peace but it's the peace that you promise and Lord i pray that over over the members of our congregation that have entered this place with a heavy heart would you be with each and every situation Lord i pray um, for those who have perhaps come in with, with sickness and illness, either in their lives or uh, the loved ones. And I just, I just ask your healing touch to be upon them. Lord, I, I thank you for the way that you're moving here in this church. God, I pray that you would just continue to humble us, continue to help us, help us have a posture of humility before you, Lord. Help us to remember that, that we can't do this alone. We might think we can, and we might even do it on our own for a while, but Lord, we need you. And we ask that you would just continue to speak to us now through the remainder of this service. We love you, God, and we, we just desperately want our lives to show that. It's in your son's precious and holy name we pray, amen.
2: Hello, um, my name is Jessica Walks. And I'm going to talk to you today about evangelism. It's been a couple years now that God has been pulling on my heart and directing me to share the gospel, to pray for people. And it was really scary, I want to tell you. Um, I didn't really run into it. (laughs) And I know for a lot of you that might sound kind of scary, um, to be bold with your faith. But I want to tell you a little of my backstory. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home with addiction and anger and fighting, and God was a curse word in my house um, from my dad. But my mom told me about God, and she told me God loved me and that he cared about me, and that stuck with me. But there was nobody there to teach me who God really was, nobody there to share the gospel to tell me about Jesus. So unfortunately, as many people, the lies of the enemy, the lies of the world, the doctrines of the world, were very very much louder to me than the truth of God. So, But God didn't give up. I mean, he did put people in my life that pointed me to him. And um, by the time I went to college, I had ran away from that. I did not want drugs, alcohol addiction but I was still running to things of the world. I was still running to money and trying to strive, and it just wasn't getting me anywhere. But God kept pursuing me, and finally he pulled me out of the darkness, and he gave my husband Jim and I four great kids, and it was our kids who brought us to Jesus because we were complete. We didn't know what we were doing (laughs) by the time we became parents, and we knew that We needed help. So I do want to encourage you, when you see people who are struggling, you see parents who are struggling, invite them to church, invite their kids to VBS. That's how we came to the Lord. And God really did a work on our hearts. And I'm so grateful for that. But I still didn't understand the gospel. And as um, God has been pulling on my heart, I've realized that there's a lot of people who don't fully understand the gospel, and there is a great need that we need to share. So um, I began seeking, and God put people in my life um, to help me share the gospel, and to mentor me in that. So it's been really amazing what God has done. I've started going out and praying with some friends, and we talked to people about Jesus, and you would be shocked at how many people just need to be seen. How many people want to be prayed for? We go out in Marysville and I people have told us our their whole life story. They've broken down in the middle of the store and we've prayed for them. And it has been such a blessing. And I just want to encourage you because God calls us all to go and do this. And we all have a sphere of influence. We all have people that we know who are hurting and lost and they need to be seen. And it's just It's wonderful and each and every one of you has a call in your life God will equip you he's given you gifts he's given you talents and he will show you what they are as you walk as you pursue him but I do want to invite you every Wednesday my friend and I and a group of people we go out and everybody is invited and we we pray for each other we pray for other people and we're just in the community and as we have been doing this we realize that, um, that there's people, that we see the same people. So I do want to encourage you, and I'm wearing this shirt. This, sharing the gospel in, with children is really important, and I am working with LifeWise. You may have heard that on 1049 The River. This is an um, a organization, a ministry, that goes into schools during the school day. The kids have to leave, but they have the option of learning the gospel. So it's amazing, and we, it's completely legal, and we've had this, this um, right that we didn't know about, and there's so much interest in it. If you are interested, we're having a meeting um, for Fairbanks, but it's also for Marysville um, this Thursday, July 14th, and it's at the Lighthouse Church in Unionville Center. But if you want any more, informa- ugh, more information, please let me know, and I'd be glad to talk to you. Thank you so much, and God bless you.
3: Jessica, thank you very, very much for that this morning. I needed to hear that in light of what we're going to discuss today. Good morning. Good to be with you. Um, I'm Brian, not Pastor Brian, again. uh, My understanding is that if you're watching on live stream this morning, that apparently the live stream screen says Pastor Brian Richardson, not me. My name is Brian Nurek. I'm a member of this church um, and have been for a long, long time. And um, I'm just appreciative of the opportunity to talk and speak with you today. Uh, Pastor Brian's on vacation. Um, How many of you would agree that his family needs a vacation? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they have had, I don't even know that I could list everything that they've had going on in their lives within the transition of a brand new town to live in, and house and pastoral ministry and all that. They need a vacation. So they're on vacation this morning. And Pastor Josh is taking the youth group on a summer retreat, a Ropes and Rapids uh, retreat here in just a few minutes. He's leaving after first service. So uh, Pastor Brian reached out to me and said, I know that we're uh, not the best of friends yet. We're getting there, but uh, would you be interested in speaking? And so I said, sure, not a problem. And so that's what brings us here together today. Um, I just want to thank you. Um, I had the opportunity to, to speak about a month and a half ago uh the end of may and i just want to thank you for how kind you have been since then uh, so many people have come and have have uh, been supportive and encouraging to me um, i stand in front of a group i'm a high school teacher i stand in front of a group of students every day but uh, uh i get nervous doing this because <laughs> i want to do the right thing and you all have been so supportive thank you so so much for your kind words and for your your good thoughts i've really appreciated them in the last few weeks and they helped uh, me prepare for today Um, Since we last spoke, I survived a trip to Washington, D.C. with 72 eighth graders. Um, In fact, the day that I spoke, I left at 4.30 the next morning to go to Washington, D.C. We made it. We came back. Everything was good. No one was lost. Um, One sprained ankle. Uh, Apparently, 8th graders cannot jump standing up on flat ground and land, but that was taken care of. I personally directed a tour bus through the Georgetown Medical Center in ingress to the emergency room. I've never done that before in my life. It was fantastic. So many people yelled at me. So many different languages, it was great. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic. It was a life-changing experience. Uh, DC was awesome. Uh, since we last spoke, um, I received an offer and accepted a job to be a high school teacher at a different building. So I uh, say high school teacher, I no longer teach middle school. Uh, this fall I'll be teaching uh, high school English at Ohio High Point in the Bell Fountain area. So kind of going back home a little bit. I was at Ben Logan for 17 years. But uh, that's my life, a lot of changes, a lot of good things happening. Um, Looking forward to being the new guy in a new building again this fall. <laughs> Ever been the new person? Anybody? Yeah? Um, really interesting scenario that happened to me about six weeks into the school year this past year. I'm standing in the commons area with our students, and they're getting ready to come in. or They're, they're kind of milling around for class. And uh, I look up and look across the commons area, which is a room about this size. All the classrooms opened off of a really unique construction at, at Urbana Junior High. And as I look up through the students, I see an adult that I have no idea who this gentleman is, just walking through the student body. Not, not a smile on his face, hat on, jacket on. Um, how many of you would be a little nervous? Okay? No idea who this guy is. None. None whatsoever. He's walking across the room, and he's making a beeline straight for me. And I'm kind of like, okay, alright. <laughs> me. Um, Gets about 10 feet away from me, and I got to tell you that the fight or flight kind of kicked in, you know, that protective dad teacher mode, and I'm like, man, I don't know what's going to happen here, but, and all of a sudden, he gets about 10 feet away from me, and he pulls out a set of keys and a door handle, it's the maintenance guy, he'd come to fix my classroom door, which was broken, <laughs> no idea who that gentleman was. <laughs> All the other teachers in the room didn't, I mean, I thought, why aren't these guys reacting because they know him, I was new, I didn't know his face, didn't have a name badge on, you know, didn't say Ed or whatever, you know, just a guy walking across the commons and new guy, had no idea who he was, misunderstanding at first sight, looking forward to that all over again this coming school year. So um, I want to talk to you today, we want to talk together, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. Um, and we're going to talk about this concept of love at first sight. Stephanie put this graph together. I think it's fantastic. Love at first sight. Uh, we're looking at Acts chapter 9, and we're looking at the beginning of the ministry of Saul or Paul. How many of you are familiar with the Apostle Paul? If you've read any of the New Testament, if you've been on church at all, you know about the Apostle Paul. You know who he is. Um, he is responsible for so much of what we understand as far as the church is concerned. But we're also going to talk about this concept of love at first sight. Um, I'm a teacher, so I'm going to ask for a show of hands a lot. How many of you believe in love at first sight? A couple of you. Some hesitation. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I I think we have to define this word love in order to understand what it is we're saying. Are we saying uh, attraction at first sight? Infatuation? Um, Interest at first sight? Or are we talking about a deep, abiding, eternal commitment the first time you see somebody? i got to tell you, I believe in love at first sight. Um, I have very, very distinctive moments in my life where I knew that I was in love and I knew I was making a commitment that was going to last a long, long time, my lifetime. Um, my wife's in the audience today. I have memory of seeing her for the very first time. Uh, we went to Mount Vernon University together. Um, we were both education majors. Uh, didn't end up talking to each other our junior year. She sat in a classroom behind me. I sat in front of her. Attractive young lady, I thought I'd speak to her. And I thought I was a much, much better looking gentleman than I actually am. And so I remember that I turned and said something snarky to her, fully expecting her to do some sort of, isn't he funny? And I remember that she, she gave as good as I got, put me in my place with a handful of words, and then smiled. <laughs> and that has been happening for the last 24 years <laughs> on a daily basis. Etched in my mind is that smile, etched in my mind is that moment And I knew that this person was someone I had never encountered before, and I wanted to encounter more of her. Um, I have etched in my mind the memories of my daughters being born. Um, I will never, ever forget the first time Kennedy was handed to me. Um, I was the first to hold her just because of the procedure Holly had gone through for her to be born. And I remember the nurse handing her to me in this bundle of blankets, and I remember thinking, why isn't she crying? And I remember moving the blankets aside to hold her and look at her, and there's this little beautiful thing just staring up at me like, hey, Dad, what's up? get some ice cream you know i mean she just has this calm so I, I can't and i don't want to get that picture of her face out of my mind i have etched in my mind memories of jillian for the very first time different encounter jillian's more vocal than kennedy is she was not happy as the nurse cleaned her off but i got to hold her and help Dress her for the first time and speak to her for the first time and i'll never forget that the first time i spoke out loud to her and said hey it's okay her cry stopped and she turned her head towards me and that's a beautiful moment i'll never ever forget love at first sight ladies and gentlemen i believe in it (laughs) i believe in it but we're going to talk about a little bit more of this today you're familiar with these words. Uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 13. He says that love is patient. How many of you know this, these verses? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But love never fails. I'd like to talk to you today about the man who wrote those words and was inspired by God uh, to write these words. Um, We know him as the Apostle Paul. But the Bible tells us that he began his ministry with the name Saul. How many of you know that? We say Saul, Paul, and I might accidentally slip and interchange. But he began his life with the name of Saul. In fact, there's a common misconception that when Saul dedicates himself to the Lord, that God changes Saul's name, and that's not actually what happened. The name Saul is the same name as the name Paul. It's just that Saul is the Hebrew version of the Greek Paul. Okay? So they're interchangeable. Will and Bill, I guess, or Nurik and Hillbilly. I mean, you know, either way. Okay. (laughs) Interchangeable. So Saul is Paul and Paul is Saul, and we're going to call him Saul. Saul begins his life, and he's born in the city of Tarsus. Um, He is born a Jew, but he's born in a Roman city. So he's born a Jew, but he's also having Roman citizenship. He is a citizen of Rome. Um, He was raised shortly thereafter in Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that he himself admits to the fact that he studied the Bible and Jewish law under one of the most recognized Jewish rabbis of the day, a man by the name of Gamaliel. According to Jewish custom, you may or may not know this, Saul would have been uh, began his studies looking at the first five books of the Bible at the age of five or six. Uh, we call those first five books of the Bible the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And at the age of five or six, he would have begun to study these first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Bible tells us that according to Jewish custom, by the age of 12, he would have had all five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, completely memorized word for word. Anybody lay claim to that? Not me. <laughs> like to read it, can't say I've memorized it, right? But by the age of 12, he can recite word for word the first five books of the Bible. In fact, the whole, the whole series every time you see Jesus saying the Bible, it is written or as you 've seen it written, Jesus is literally saying, "You know these words because you have them memorized because all Jews had, rep, had, had memorized the first five books of the Bible by the time they were twelve years old, at least that was what they were supposed to have done at the age of twelve. Saul was so good at what he did that he actually got to go on to a further uh, school. He went from what was called Bates' affair to Bateman Rash. he was a, 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 as an educated Jew he would have been trained under even More rabbis. He would have studied the prophets. He would have studied Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah, and so by the age of sixteen, Saul would have been an extremely educated young man in Jewish law, in the Bible, in the oral tradition. We know that Saul is so good at what he does that he actually became he comes kind of kind of a junior Pharisee, kind of a Pharisee light. If that makes sense at all, does that work? Um, he begins to work with the Jewish church, with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he's so good at his studies and he's such an academic mind that they make him a junior member that eventually at some point, if things went the way I think Saul wanted them to, he would have progressed to become possibly a chief priest, one of the Pharisees, one of the Sadducees, sitting on the Sanhedrin, making and discussing Jewish law for Jewish people. But the interesting thing about Saul's life is that he's born at a very, very interesting time in history. See, Saul was born, and we're not exactly certain, records being what they were, you know, no Google back then. Um, Saul was either born five years before or five years after Jesus' death and resurrection. But he was born in the lifetime of the disciples who had walked and talked with Jesus. And if you know anything about history, you know that in this time in history, the church is literally exploding. The Jewish church, the synagogue is exploding. Because you've got the Jews who have worshipped God for thousands of years this way. Yahweh, he's worshipped this way, this way, this way. Messiah has not come. Messiah is coming. Messiah has not come. And we know by reading the Bible that when Jesus comes and declares himself Messiah, that not everyone believed him. In fact, few did, even though died on a cross, resurrected, was seen again. And so Saul is being raised in this church tradition where it's talking about the, the, the law and the ancient ways of doing things, while well, there are people within the Jewish church, within the synagogues, who are becoming what we would call Christians today. They're, they're, they're claiming that Messiah has come, Messiah is here, so we worship Jesus, we worship what they called the way, and there was a schism in the church. The church was divided, the, the synagogue, the Jewish church was divided, Judaism was divided. And the Bible tells us that Saul is so good at what he does academically, and he's so zealous for the Lord and these old ways, and that he is so into what he's supposed to do. The Bible tells us that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, they hire Saul to go and hunt down these new believers in Jerusalem. They give him the right to kick down doors and pull people out of their houses and question them. Are you following the way? Are you, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of this Messiah? And if they admit to it, he gets them to, he can haul them off to prison. Uh, for my Star Wars nerd friends today, Saul is basically the Mandalorian. If I get that, a couple laughs. Okay, the other people look looking at me like I'm crazy. He's a bounty hunter. Saul is a church-hired bounty hunter. Glad we don't have those anymore, right? He legitimately is being sent out to hunt people down who worship Christ and to haul them off to prison. In fact, the first time we ever see Saul in the Bible, if you flip back a few pages, if you're, if you're at Acts 9, flip back a few pages to Acts 8, there's a disciple by the name of Stephen who is so filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the Lord that he gets hauled in front of the Sanhedrin. And as he's proclaiming Christ is Lord to the Jewish court, the Bible says they are so angry they can't even hear him, they take him out and they stone Stephen to death. And they lay their cloaks at the feet of a young Pharisee by the name of Saul. At the very first time we encounter Saul in the Bible, he is witnessing the death of one of Jesus' disciples. And it pleases him, as hard as that is to say. Saul was zealous for this way of living. If you pick up in chapter 9 of Acts, you see that he is so into this idea of hunting these new believers down that he goes to the Sanhedrin and says, you know what, I've pretty much cleaned out Jerusalem. I've scattered these people who are gathering. I've made it so difficult for them to gather and to worship this Jesus, this, this new way, that they have scattered into other cities. And so I need your authority, he says. I want to go into cities around Jerusalem, and I want to hunt these people down, and I want to haul them back here and put them into Jewish jail. And the Sanhedrin says, great, you're doing a good job. We'll send you. Where do you want to go? He says, Damascus. The city of Damascus, 133 miles north of Jerusalem. He said, I want to go to Damascus. That's where there's another group of them gathering. And the Sanhedrin says, great, we'll give you official papers. We'll make it official. We'll put names on the paper. You walk with them. You walk with those papers. You go to Damascus. You hunt these people down. They're yours. Go and do your job. And so the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, that Saul takes these papers and a couple deputies who are helping him, and they start the journey to Damascus. It's about a five or six day journey. Uh, Most likely they're walking. And so they're walking to Damascus. And as they get close to Damascus, and this is the more probably more familiar part of the story. As they get close, they get within viewing distance of Damascus. They're almost there. The Bible tells us that this bright light shines from heaven and hits the guys. And that Saul falls to the ground. The men around him see the light, but they don't hear anything. And Saul falls to the ground. And he hears a voice of the Lord saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you hurting me? And Saul replies, Who are you? And the Bible says, he says, Lord, which might be an indicative that we think that he's talking about Jesus, but he actually says, Who are you, sir? He speaks to the light. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up and go into the city, and then you will be told what to do. I know this is familiar to you. I'm just recounting this maybe for those of you who aren't familiar. And The Bible tells us that as the light fades that Saul's friends helped lift him up off the ground. And as Saul opens his eyes, he's completely blind. 150% blind, can't see a thing. This Jewish bounty hunter who is so convinced of the Bible that he knows and he understands, that has a list of names of people that the Jewish church has told him he can go hunt down and haul off to jail and harm if they don't want to come with him, has become blinded in an instant. And he is so helpless that the Bible says he has to be led by the hand into Damascus. And he has to be led by the hand into the house where he's staying. And he has to be led by the hand to the chairs that he's sitting at and the bed that he's supposed to lay in. And that for three days and three nights, he is completely blind. He takes no food. He takes no water. He's beside himself with grief, confusion, uncertainty. And have you ever temporarily lost your sight? Have you experienced that at all? Um, I've had corrective surgery. I've had contacts as I've grown up. I remember as a young kid not being able to see very clearly. I had bad vision. Um, It's a lot better now because of things. But two summers ago, I got an infection in my left eye, and my eyes swelled shut. sounds gross because it was. And I can tell you that I literally was blind on this side of my body. I'd have a CAT scan, had multiple doctors look at me, no idea what the infection was, what's the problem. And even though I could see out of my right eye, even losing 50% of my vision was so disorienting to me that I remember laying on our couch and literally saying, God, what am I supposed to do? What in the world am I supposed to do? Everything that I operated, the understanding of of my operation, the ability to see had been reduced to 50%, and I was totally beside myself. I can't imagine having both of my eyes totally non-functional. As I was reading this story today, um, as preparing for today, um, I I, I had a curious thought cross my mind, and I think it's something God put in my mind. Uh, Let me ask you this question this morning. Why, Why take Saul's vision? Of all the things that Jesus could have done to stop Saul on this road to Damascus to hunt down these believers and hunt down these new Christians, why take his vision? Why not just paralyze him? He can still see, hear, talk, but he just can't move. Why not make him just really weak? Why not take away his ability to speak so that he doesn't have the authority to speak in the name of the Jewish church? We see in the Bible where Zachariah is made mute when he doubts that his wife is going to bear John the Baptist. You guys are familiar with that? That God has used various ways to catch people's attention. Why blind Saul? If we keep reading, we understand That as he laid there for three days and three nights, that he did turn to the Lord to pray. That he wasn't just laying there in his own grief and agony and frustration, but that he did rely on the Lord to pray. And we know that because if you look at chapter 9, verses 10 through 16, we see that God speaks to a man living in Damascus by the name of Ananias. And Ananias is a believer Um, He's a believer in the way. He's a believer in Christ, but he's not any sort of city leader. He's just kind of an average guy believing and trying to do what he knows is right. And the Lord speaks to Ananias in a vision. And God says to Ananias, hey, I want you to go to this house on this this street called Straight Street, and I want you to go into this house, and I want you to speak to this guy named Saul. I want you to talk to him. And I want you to lay your hands on him and pray for him. And I want you to tell him that, that I'm here to fill him with the Holy Spirit and restore his sight. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Ananias knows that Saul is a hunter of new believers, right? And he has Saul sitting in a house completely blind. How many of you would be like, uh, God, we got a good connection. Um, are you still using dial-up? I, you know, I, I can't. How many of you would completely, completely be opposed to going to this guy's house, this hunter of new believers, and helping him out? Yeah, I know that that would not be my first reaction. And, and Ananias even says to the Lord, he says, Are you sure this is what you want me to do? I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief, chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord says to Ananias, Go! Exclamation This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, their kings, and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so Ananias is obedient to the Lord. He goes to the house on Straight Street. He tells Saul who he is. He sits down in front of him and puts his hands on Saul's shoulders, and he prays over him. Verse 17, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again, and so that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. The last face that Saul has seen is the face of Christ on the road to Damascus, telling him to stop persecuting his people. The first face that Saul sees and his vision is restored. Is the face of Ananias. Think about that for a minute. You're blinded. Your life is completely turned upside down. Everything you thought you understood about your entire upbringing and the scriptures that you've studied, the knowledge you've been given, and the authority you've been given has changed. You've become helpless. And the moment that your helplessness is removed... Six inches from your face is the smiling face, the loving face, the kind, patient, gentle face of a complete stranger but one who speaks to you with the authority of God, one who speaks to you with the authority of the Holy Spirit, one who speaks promise into your life. I've come so that you would be healed, sight restored, and the Holy Spirit would fill you. Love at first sight. We know That Saul, from this point forward, does amazing things. Did you know that Saul, Paul, is known to have written at least 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament? Over half the New Testament written by this man who had so much wrong for so long. Do you know that he is credited with traveling at least 10,000 miles on foot to spread the gospel of Jesus to the world? And not just the Jewish world, but the the non-Jewish world, the Gentiles. And that moment began with a face of love saying, be healed, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Love at first sight. I bet you that Ananias' face is etched in Saul's mind for the rest of his life. I bet you that every single time Saul preaches from this point forward for the rest of his life and he talks about the love of Christ. I mean, read the New Testament. You'll see what he has to say. I bet that the face of Ananias is etched in Saul's mind. He cannot forget this man. He cannot forget this face of kindness. He cannot forget this face of love that he sees because of God, because of God, what God has done with him. If we keep reading, we see that immediately Saul gets up after Ananias speaks to him. And before he ever takes food or drink or anything like that, he's baptized in the name of the Lord. Takes some food, restores his strength. Now I think a lot of you would think, okay, so God's done something in his life, he goes back to normal. No, he pulls a complete 180 degree turn. Um, The Bible tells us that he actually moves in with the guys he was gonna hunt and haul off to prison. Um, The disciples that he was meant to take to prison, he becomes roommates with them. Good call. Um, He lives in Damascus for several days. And we actually read, if you continue to go on, it says that he spent several days with the disciples. He began to preach in the synagogues. He goes to the Jewish churches, and he starts speaking in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All of those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners of the chief priests? Key verse today. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So what's our takeaway from this today? I don't know that any of us are able to commit to 10,000 miles of walking in the name of the Lord. Anybody? Takers? No? Okay. What's our takeaway here? I think there's three things that I get from um, this story, that I get from this example, that I get from what the Lord is saying to us or trying to say to us through these verses. And the first thing is this. Um, You and I live in a very, very, very confused, angry, frustrated distrustful world. And I know that we do our very best to live our lives for Christ and that every day we, we, we dedicate ourselves to the Lord, but we live in a world that is not very trustful. Um, reference my story about the maintenance guy walking across the commons at the school that I worked at. I think far too often in trying to be like Christ, but also living in this distrustful world that we set up barriers and we set up fences in our mind and we're trying to be careful and we're uncertain and and we become confused and disillusioned by what we think we know, by what we think we understand about what God wants for us. And if we don't keep checking in with God and if we don't keep speaking to him, we can literally start viewing people, first impressions of others, without the filter of love over our eyes. Does that make any sense? I think we can turn into Saul 1.0, thinking we've got it right, thinking we're doing the right thing, thinking we have the knowledge, but it hasn't applied itself to our hearts. And it's as simple as how angry do you get when somebody cuts you off in traffic? Drove to Chillicothe and back yesterday. Tried to change lanes at one point. I even have the fun little camera on the you know, the screen, and I'm changing lanes, thought I could get in, and the guy pulled up around me and looked in, the, looked in the side of me and went, like, watch where you're going. My reaction internally was not one of, God be with you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything. I didn't gesture, but I can tell you for the next three minutes, you know, I was like, where, where does he get all, <laughs> you know, wasn't love, <laughs> You ever been walking through Walmart and you hear a commotion and you get worried or scared because you have no idea what it is? It's the world we live in. We're on guard all the time. We're in protect mode all the time. And there's nothing wrong with kind of being aware of where we are, but what if we were checking in with the Holy Spirit on how to gauge our reactions to those things? What if we were relying on him to speak to us and tell us how to react, how to think, how to interpret I can tell you to my shame that I didn't check in with the Holy Spirit yesterday when that guy pulled around and motioned to me. Should have. Secondly, what if you have been called to be the Saul Paul in the world you live in? So the way you interpret people is one thing. What you've been called to do and the interpretations you're called to take into your world is another. Me included. I say you, I need. I mean Me. What if we're meant to be the ones that are supposed to step across and to speak with love and to act with love and to proclaim the truth? Did you hear what Jessica had to say this morning? Did you hear her testimony? How her upbringing was one way, but the Lord spoke to her and changed, and so now she's stepping out and she's speaking and she's doing uncomfortable things, but she's doing things that are necessary because the Lord's asking her to, because there's a world that desperately needs to know about Jesus. What if you are called to be the Saul Paul in the work that you do? do to that neighbor whose dog barks at two o'clock in the morning to the kids that you interact with in class at school I don't think it's a what if I think it's a you have been and so we're meant to be those who go and carry the word of God but I think the most important thing that I take away from this today what if we've been called to be an Ananias to us all What if we've been called to be the ones to listen to what God says to us and to go and to pray over and put our hands on someone who's going to go in other areas and do other things? Ananias was a nobody in the church. God speaks to him and says, Go put your hands on this man, pray for him, speak my truth into his life. And look what Saul does. What if you've been called to be an Ananias today? What if your face is meant to be the face that someone sees as you pray over them and they see love at first sight of God revealing something to them? I think our vision of the world has to change. I think where we're called to go has to be recognized and I think the people that we're responsible for praying over and being Jesus in their life is vital to this story today. Let me pray with us this morning. Father, thank you so much for the truth of today. This is a very familiar story, but God, I I just thank you for a new way of looking at it, for a new way of interpreting this information. Father, I pray that for those of us here today who need our vision checked by you, who need to see the world we live in with more love, who need to see love at first sight, that God, you would speak to us, you would soften our hearts, You would show us how you were looking out for us. You would help us know how to interpret first encounters. You would help us put aside judgment and prejudice. And then, Father, I would ask that you would speak to us today about where we're called and what we're meant to be doing. Uh, The world we live in is not a mistake who you have us encounter. The places we work is not just some sort of coincidence. The places we live, Lord, those are where we've called to speak your truth and speak your love. To be your love. And so God, today I just pray that you would help us understand what it is you are asking of us in our day-to-day lives. Father, I'm convinced that today some of us, hopefully all of us, who care for each other and who love on each other and who pray for each other. That Lord, you would help us to be the Ananias to someone else who's being sent where we can't go. Help us to be that face of love and kindness. Help us to be different than what was expected. Help us to bring your love, Father, to people who need to hear it so they can go and do what you've asked them to do. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time that we have had together. I thank you for your truth. And I just ask that you walk with us as we go. Um, Even though we're not gathered together anymore, Father, allow your words and your thoughts and the truth of your word to continue to resonate in our minds and to work in our hearts It's your name. I thank you and praise you. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Have a good rest of your week.